Welcome to A Different Way of Traveling. This is a podcast where we discuss travel for persons with disabilities and special needs in South Africa and beyond with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. Hi everyone, and thanks for joining us on today's episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel brought to you by Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. You know, over the last almost two years that I've been doing this podcast, I have enjoyed every single one of the interviews I've had the privilege to conduct. Today's episode has to rank as one of my personal favorites. It's a story, it's fun, it's inspirational, it's just a great story. And I think it's a perfect antidote to the anxiety and the uncertainty that many of us are experiencing as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Especially since, as people who love to travel, we're restricted from doing so at the moment. In today's interview, you'll be meeting Dr. Kim Lewis and her guide dog, Jessie, who went on a wonderful trip a few months ago. And they're gonna share some of the insights of that with us on the podcast today. Then, in the Travel Tech Corner, I'm going to be sharing some tools with you that might be useful to help keep us all connected and to help us chat and remember the travels that we've experienced in the near past. Right, but before we get into that, I would like to introduce you to Kim Lewis and her beautiful guide dog, Jessie. Today on A Different Way of Travelling, we're talking with Dr. Kim Lewis. And Kim recently went on an exciting adventure. She went on a cruise with her guide dog, Jessie. So we were, I thought we would just chat to Kim and ex- learn a little bit about her experience, what it's like cruising both as a blind passenger, but also as a blind passenger with a guide dog. How are you doing today, Kim? No, I'm doing very well. Thanks, Lois. That's great. Well, maybe we could start off by just asking you to share a little bit of your story with our listeners. Well, I, um, I'm a GP by trade, and about three years ago, due to a brain inflammation, I lost my sight. And a year ago, I got Jessie, my guide dog, and we're making a lovely team together. And my kids are both 18 and 20, respectively. And my husband and I like going away to get away from the kids every now and then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe you can tell us then a little bit about the types of travels that you've done. I, 
as a, a young adult, I did quite a bit of traveling overseas. Um, came home and then did the whole mother career and kids um, bent. But the one thing that I always enjoyed from young was being by the sea. I grew up cruising. Um, my dad worked for Surf Marine and we'd go up and down the coast in a container ship with my dad in the master suite. So I got used to the, the sea life uh, quite a bit. And um, recently when my husband and I started looking at our own travels, we um, went back to my first love, and that was cruising. Jesse and I have also obviously flown up to Joburg and back to visit family. And we also enjoy road trips. My husband, Alan and I have gone all around the Western Cape together. As family, we used to go up to Plet regularly to, to um, we had a house there. So all over the country, just enjoy getting out. And Jesse is quite happy to travel with you on these different adventures? I don't know whether she has much of a choice. <laughs> I suppose that's true. <laughs> but she does come with me. And um, uh, she was a surprisingly good sailor. Well, that's good. And as we kind of go through a little bit more about the experiences of what it was like traveling with her on the cruise ship, we'll, we'll kind of find out a little bit more about that. I just want to quickly just give a bit of context here. Kim and I are sitting in my home with not one, not two, not even three, but four dogs with us. My guide dog, Jessie the guide dog, and my two pet dogs. So if you hear dog noises in the background, don't think there's something wrong with your audio gear. Okay, so let's talk a little bit then about the experience of what it was like going on cruise with your guide dog. Just in general in terms. General. I find having Jessie gives me probably the greatest independence and it was no different on the ship because Jessie just took me around. I make a point before getting on a ship of spending a good period of time studying the layout of the ship so that I know where I am at all times. Kind of like having a mental map in my brain. And then for me, once I know that, um, I can navigate myself. In fact, my husband gets lost on the ship more than <laughs> I do. Uh, if, you, if, if, if I feel that the ship is traveling forward, then I've got my entire map. I've got forward, aft, and right and left. And I just have to move in that area. So Jessie came along. The interesting thing about having Jessie on the ship is that I think that they tell single men to take a dog to a park to become a chick magnet. <laughs> and I kind of felt the same way. I met more people on this cruise than I've ever met on any other cruise that I've done. 
So many people stopping to ask and ask about Jesse. Um, and interestingly enough, very few of them stopping to make any motion towards Jesse before actually greeting and asking if it was okay. It was actually a, a fun trip to have and we made a lot of good friends. And how long was the cruise that you actually took? We had a, a, a four-day, three-night cruise. Or was it four nights, three days? We went up from Cape Town to Durban. So we got on board on the um, Tuesday at lunchtime. And we ended up in Durban on the Friday morning. And then we flew back to Cape Town the Friday afternoon. Did you find it took Jessie a bit of time to acclimatise? Or don't you think she was really aware that she wasn't on solid land at the time? I don't think Jessie had any idea that she was on a ship. Um, we did rock. The where the Agulhas, where Agulhas is and the Indian Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean meet is notoriously choppy. So I won't say we didn't feel the motion, but at no time the stabilizers were out, so at no time did the boat really rock backwards and forwards or side to side. It was more like a, a gentle, um, soothing uh, uh, movement. And I don't think Jesse saw it as anything more than traveling in a train, or which also has motion. And so she, she's a very good sailor. And in terms of the stability, did you yourself find that that posed different challenges for you with as a visually impaired passenger? Or are you so used to sea voyages? Look, that I think there are things to remember, and that is when you travel, every cabin has a, a lip where the door is. So that obviously... Um, if there's any water in a cabin, it then doesn't get out mm -hmm. of the cabin. So you've got to remember to step over the lip and step back. And um, other than that, and, and when you're walking on deck, it can be wet and slippery. Uh, and, and, and that's when you feel the, mo the movement quite a bit. But then I tend to, to keep inward so that I was along the side of the um, ship where the, the, wind, the, the portholes were and then if necessary I could put my hand out and just steady myself. Uh, and um, as, as I say, I'm, I'm used to, to cruising and I used to cruise when I just had my cane. I think I felt it was more unsteady then than with Jess because at least I felt that Jess was looking out for everything else. All I had to focus on was the side-to-side -side movement. Kim, I'd like to dig down a little bit deeper into mm. some of the details of how you and Jesse worked on board the vessel. So you've mentioned a few things, a few ways in which Jesse actually helped you as you were navigating. But can you take us through the experience of boarding the ship, getting to know your cabin, and, and then... How she actually helped you when you were navigating round the ship? Okay. When we arrived, we were given strict instructions to go to the um, reception desk. So we met there, and we were met by three very excited 
ladies who had never had a guide dog aboard ship before. Now, if I'm correct, you were the first on the passenger South African coast on the South African coast cruises to travel with a guide, guide dog. Wow. So we then um, now people who have cruised before may know that it's come. It, 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 it's known that you arrive and you stand for two, three hours in your in the queue just to leave your bags, and then another couple of hours before you end up on the ship. Well, we went to the reception desk with our bags, and we were in the cabin ten minutes later. Wow. Uh, we were literally fast-forwarded through um, the customs, fast-forwarded to a separate gangplank, so that instead of having to go up the stairs, we went across on um, a flat gangplank. In fact, it was the gangplank that was being used by the mothers with prams and the people on wheelchairs. Only once did Jesse hesitate, and that was as we got to the edge where the gangplank met the ship. And it, as the ship rocks, it moves, it, it makes a noise rubbing against the gangplank. And Jesse was a little bit anxious. I said, okay, come go, let's go over. And we went over and went into the ship. And that was probably the last time she actually realized that this thing <laughs> wasn't solid ground anymore. And we were taken up to the cabin. Ellen and I had treated ourselves this time to a suite. We generally traveled in a balcony cabin because I love the sea. I will open up and sit on my balcony, smelling the sea air, listening to the sea. And I can't think of a better place to be. But we decided to get a suite, and this was before I had Jessie, and it did make a difference to have extra room with the dog. I don't think the balcony cabin would have been too small, but it was nice to have extra room. It had a full bathroom with a bathtub and a walk-in closet, and then an area where there was um, a bed and then an area where, where there was a place to sit and a lounge with a coffee table and then the balcony. And when I got to the cabin and we put the bags down, I actually went out and um, taught Jessie to find the door with my clicker so that she was focused immediately on the door which meant that whenever I went out, I knew I could trust Jessie to find the door. For those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the concept of clicker-trained dogs, can you just explain in a little more detail about that process of teaching her the door? Essentially, I taught Jessie to focus on the door by rewarding her for focusing on the door by clicking with a clicker and then rewarding the click with a treat. And once she had realized that the door was associated with a treat, <laughs> we then approached from different angles to reinforce the idea that, that it was this specific door and no other door that um, was associated with a treat. And I could get out of the lift 
and we had to get out of the lift and turn three corners before we hit our door, going past three other doors. And she she made it to the door easier than my husband, who would often walk past. And I'd go, no, this is our cabin, because Jessie knows it's Jessie's door. Uh, and um, one side focused her on the door. We went into the cabin. And then I gave her something to drink and um, gave her her toy because I find that um, that settles her. When my bags were, when our bags were delivered, I always travel with a specific travel blanket that she knows is her travel blanket. So if I put it down wherever I am, wherever we are, she's home. And I put it down fairly quickly. And then she settled because she knew that this cabin would be home for us. And um, by that stage, they, there was a knock on the door and um, somebody handed me safety instructions in Braille, which actually don't work for me because I don't know Braille. <laughs> They had it, <laughs> but they had it, and that's actually the important and that was there. important. Yeah. And the important thing was that they don't leave the harbour until you've done a safety drill. So I needed to know the safety instructions, and then you hear over the um, loudspeaker that there will be a safety drill in half an hour, and um, everybody has to report to a specified area, which depends on where your cabin is. So we found out our specified area was on the sixth floor in one of the lounges. And so when the uh, alarm went off, which is, I don't know, I think it's five long beeps, then we all grabbed our life jackets and you're not allowed to use the elevator. So we went all the way down the stairs to the, the lounge area and Jessie had to bring her, well, I bought a life jacket for Jessie. So Jessie had her own life jackets, we had our life jackets and then everyone had to put them on to show that they knew how to put on a life jacket. And when everybody in our containment area had shown that they were fit to survive an emergency, then we all went back to our cabins and then the ship started to leave the harbour. And so we went up on deck. Um, it's quite windy at about four or five o'clock in January in Cape Town. But there's there's something special about, um, about leaving harbour. You hear the sound of the ship. The ship's horns going, you can hear the tug's horns going, and um, you feel that the energy, the, 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 the strength of the engines under your feet as you feel this great, big ship wake up. And um, as you come out of the harbour, you can feel yourself being pulled out of the harbour by the tugs, you feel the ship start to roll. And that back and forth roll, and then you know, now I'm at sea. And um, it's about this time as you leave the harbour that they start the party on the pool deck. 
And it seems to be a tradition that when the, par the party starts with the Afrikaans song, Captain, the Captain's Bundy Sailor. I think it's quite <laughs> hilarious. And so we had people on the pool deck. You could hear them partying and dancing. And my husband left me and Jesse at one of the rails with the, 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 the sea mist on your face and the, the, the wind. And um, he went, to, he's a photographer, so he went to take pictures uh, for about 20 minutes. And you just stand there and you can feel the ship rocking and moving. And then you hear the, um, the tugs leaving. So the tugs all make their noise, their, their um, hooters. And then the ship gives the final hoot and then you're on your way. And then, you know, you can go down to the cabin and your voyage has started. Now, you mentioned that having Jesse with you gave you a great deal of independence on this cruise. Did you clicker-teach her or clicker-train her to find certain places like the restaurant, the lounges, any of the areas like that that you went to frequently? The lifts, the reception desk. The coffee bar, you know, I have my priorities. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and um, the restaurants in that, I was quite happy to find. I, I had them in my, my mind map. The interesting thing was, at dinner on uh, in, in, in the evening, you always sit at the same table. So you are shown to your table, and after that, Jessie actually remembered, mm. and she would take us to the table. It's the beauty of the guide dogs. They are usually incredibly good about being aware of that kind of repetitious action. They know where their place yes. is. And we'd go to the same chair in the coffee bar. I'd sit in the same place. And um, so she, she got to know the, the ship very quickly. Uh, and and what was expected at certain times because um, if we went to a particular floor then she'd know we're going to the coffee bar or if we went downstairs then we might be going to the theater and then sometimes I'd say well actually we're not going to the theater this time <laughs> we're going to go right this time but she's they clever like that the dogs they, they do learn your routine did you, you, you said you had information about the layout of the ship, that you had a mental map. Yes. Did you actually manage to get a, a map of the ship that you were able to study beforehand? I downloaded from the internet um, deck plans. And then we set out where everything was on the deck. And then, then I would sit and I would just... Because there's actually not that many decks to find out. It might, I think it was a 14-deck ship. Quite a big ship. So it's a big ship, but we were on deck 14, and we our cabin was close to the front lifts. So as long as I was by the front lifts at any time, then I knew I'd hit the cabin. And then deck 13 was the pool area. So that's basically a pool in the center with... And you, you walk down and there's a bar 
in two places or a stage and a bar in two places. So that was fairly easy to navigate all the way to the back where the buffet was. I must admit, I'm not a fan of buffets because negotiating a buffet with a dog yeah. and a plate and a hundred people is not fun. And um, if you're a food snob, their food is not half as nice as the restaurant food. So I spend most of my time in the restaurants where you could actually sit down and order and have your things brought to you at the table. And that food was generally of a, a nicer quality. Um, my husband likes buffet because he likes to fill his plates, <laughs> which is also slightly different to me. I, and I don't want to fill my plate with burger and chips and pizza. I prefer to have something a little bit less um, full of starch. So we, um, we'd go to the restaurants and my husband would go to the buffets in the restaurant and I would order from the menu. Now you mentioned earlier that you were pleasantly surprised that you didn't get any, let me call it human dog distraction, that moment when people come and engage with your dog and distract the dog. And I know dog distraction, when we talk about that in guide dog terms, normally means that your guide dog is it's distracted by yes. other dogs. So maybe it should really be human distraction. So you said you didn't really encounter that at all? Very that there little. were no people engaging with, with Jesse? The staff, every time I um, interacted with a staff member, they would be told that they had been told that we were here. And they had been instructed to leave us alone unless I asked for help. So none of the staff interacted with the dog at all. And actually most of the passengers were extremely reserved and polite. I only had one instance where a woman stopped right in front of me to pet my dog. Um, and my husband basically told her what she could do with herself. I did hear a couple of wives say to their husband, it says, working dog, don't distract. <laughs> yes, there's so a reason for that sign. There were, um, there was obvious a lot of conversation around it. Uh, but most of the time, the people would stop and they would speak to me and they would ask, either can I? interact with your dog or the nice thing was it was often tell me about your dog remember these are people on holiday they've got time and um so we'd be sitting having coffee and they'd say yeah tell me about your dog and we'd end up two hours later best <laughs> friends and we moved on from the dog a long time ago uh, the one lady actually i discovered lived just up the road from me. Oh, my word. <laughs> uh, this is going to be one of those questions that is probably a little bit more basic. Um, but I think when I first heard that you had taken Jesse on a cruise, the first thing that sprang into my mind was, how did you leash relieve the dog? What about when the dog needed those all-important patches of grass? We had... Um, it was actually the first thing I asked before I even, we barely boarded and I said, 
where can I relieve Jesse? They had made a space available on the promenade deck. Now, the promenade deck is quite a low deck, and it tends to be the deck where the lifeboats are situated. So it's an open deck with rails on the side and the lifeboats hanging from the top, and it's called the promenade deck because people have always taken their Sunday strolls, you know, up and down, getting their, their constitutional <laughs> It also appears to be the place where people um, take their smoke breaks because obviously no smoking is allowed in the ship. And so they'd set us up on the promenade deck at, in the front of the ship because we were in the front of the ship. So we had to go down the lifts from the cabin to the seventh floor and then up the doors to the right of the lift and then go left, and we had a doggy loo with artificial grass, which was a little bit of a problem for me because I had asked them beforehand what ablution facilities there would be, knowing that all dogs have their um, preferences, and I've been mm. told it would be a sandbox. And I thought, well, that's not a problem. Jess is quite comfortable with sand. And we've been in a drought for how long? <laughs> Unfortunately, the southeaster um, ah started to blow, and understandably, a sandbox became not quite as practical as it sounds, and we hit artificial grass. And for the first day, I would take Jessie every two hours to the artificial grass and she would basically say, I don't know what you want me to do on this place. But I persisted, I'd arrive, I'd say busy, busy, reward her for sniffing, reward her for getting into the, onto the box. And I said to my husband, it's got to come out. <laughs> yeah. And it did. And when it came out, we behaved like, Parents whose child has been potty trained and we made such a big deal of it and we treated her and then we explained to the passengers walking past <laughs> that we actually hadn't gone insane <laughs> but this was part of the process. So um, it, it was one of these fancy boxes with artificial grass that kind of drained into something but I didn't have to find out about that because every time we came back, I don't know, a fairy had cleaned the box. <laughs> I did remove the solid waste because I um, didn't think it was fair for people walking yeah. past. Um, I use a biodegradable bag and I would deposit it into the sea where all biodegradable matter should go. And my guess is that they had crew members on the promenade deck because in December, I don't know whether you remember, but somebody jumped overboard from the same ship on the way to Mauritius. A man jumped mm -hmm. overboard. 
four o'clock in the morning and the ship actually turned around and they actually got the guy. Wow. Um, and he was taken to hospital and, and, and attended to. So there was, no matter the day or night, there was always someone on the deck uh, watching out for jumpers, I suppose. And obviously part of their duty was after we had gone, their duty was to go along and clean it because it was beautifully clean, but not that disinfectant clean that would have put Jesse off. Just clean, clean. So they really went to some... They went to a lot of trouble. Trouble to, to accommodate Jesse's needs and your yes. needs and yes. anticipate what you might need in various situations. In, in various situations. Someone asked me why it wasn't put on my balcony. And I said to them, well, quite honestly, I didn't want my dog toileting in my room. It was quite nice to have a toilet area. And then my recreation area stayed clean. I put the bowl with water and food on a um, linen saver to keep the um, carpet clean. And I had a linen saver in the room in case Jessie needed it. But she's very good at telling me when she needs to go, and then we just go downstairs. Good for her and good for you. Yeah. So were there any challenges that you found during the cruise? Anything that caused you some concern or that needed to be problem-solved that hadn't been taken into account with the planning on either from your side or from the cruise liner's side? I had been worried about seasickness, so I had actually gone to the vet and got seasick tablets for Jessie. They make seasickness tablets for dogs? They make seasick tablets for dogs. Oh, good. And I actually, because I know that that area by Agullis is rough, I actually gave her tablets that evening because if she was going to get seasick, it would be then. But the way this dog ate and drank on board, there was no worry that she was feeling in the least bit queasy. <laughs> it's one thing with a Labrador, you always get a very good indication. If, if they don't eat, you know there's something wrong with this dog and there was nothing wrong with this dog. Now, you had to change your original plans. Yes. Uh, we had booked to go to Mozambique, but because of quarantine purposes, any dog returning from Mozambique to South Africa would have to be quarantined for two weeks. And I wasn't going to have any of that. So we just decided that Mozambique wasn't on the cards. It probably, from her health point of view, wouldn't have been a problem because they take you to an island, not to the mainland. But technically, Having gone through Mozambique with that visa, that stamp visa, they wouldn't have allowed us back. And I really didn't feel like fighting over it. So I just um, said to Alan, let's rather go up to Namibia next year because Namibia has a reciprocal relationship with South Africa. So we will be able to go up to Namibia and back with no quarantine problems. That's good to know. Kim, if you were to ad give advice to a service provider about making their tourism 
experience, their, their travel experience, more accommodating for visually impaired customers? What would you advise them and, and why should they do so? I think the most important thing to do is to realise that there are a lot of visually impaired people in the world. And if you want to capture a market, you want to capture all of us. And most of us don't want to sit at home like good little blind people anymore. We have lives, we have the technology and the training to learn. And um, so we're an open market. And what, what do you think some simple steps would be to start accommodating our needs? Probably the first thing would be that um, make your websites appropriate for people with vision impairment. Make sure that you speak to people who know um, how to accommodate colour contrast, uh, size of letters, maneuverability of the buttons. Um, so, so, so make sure that we can actually find you online and um, train your staff in the small little uh, things that can be done that make a big difference. I appreciated very much on the ship the staff not talking to my dog. I appreciated very much that when I was given my drink, it was given at 12 o'clock on the ship. I appreciate By that you mean 12 o'clock as in directly in front directly of you, not at 12 o'clock p.m., for no, example. No, at 12 o'clock, according to my front clock face, that yeah. I know where to find it and I'm not knocking it over. I appreciate it. It's the small little things that make the difference. That on the ship, I was given a designated person at the reception. If I had a problem, she understood my issues and she dealt with them in a way that made it easy for me. If I had to use a card machine, we could use it together. So um, the, the accommodations are a lot smaller than you think. As long as you talk to people who know what accommodations need to be made. I don't know if that's the sort of thing you're looking for. Absolutely. I think all of those are very good suggestions. Thank you. Kim, if people would like to reach out and contact you to find out more about the, the experience you and Jesse had, or just to learn a little bit more about you and Jesse and the work that you do, can they? how can they reach you? My Gmail address is dr.km.lewis L-E-W-I-S at gmail.com Dr. K.M. Lewis at gmail.com Thank you. And you are on Facebook? I'm on Facebook as Kim Lewis. Great. Thank you so much. A final question then. Do you and Jesse, you've already mentioned that you would like to travel up to Namibia or you plan to travel up on a cruise to Namibia. What travel plans do you have for the future? My ultimate, I'm training my husband rather than JC because he is a Duracell bunny and travelling by ship is a very gentle way of travelling. But I'd ultimately like to go by ship 
up the west coast of um, Africa to Europe. I mean, that would be, it's not just the voyage, which would be lovely, and, or the crossing at the equator, which is always made a big thing of, but all those little Canary Islands and um, Gibraltar, that's where we're going to aim for. That's quite an exciting goal to have. Yes. Today on A Different Way of Travelling, we've been talking to Kim Lewis about her experience on a cruise line in South Africa with her guide dog, Jessie. Kim, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. And Jessie, of course. It's been great <laughs> to have you here with us. Bye-bye. It was such a pleasure for me to welcome Kim and Jessie into my home and to chat to them about their recent cruise. Now it's time for the Travel Tech Corner. This is a segment where we usually focus on a device or some software that is useful for those of us who travel with a disability. Today I'm going to be focusing on a piece of, of software that can be useful to us while we're unable to travel. Software that is great at helping us stay connected with friends and family across the world. I'm talking about the Zoom meeting software. This is the software that I usually use to record the interviews for this podcast. It has both audio and video facilities and is a great way of connecting with people either on a computer, a laptop or on a smartphone. It's simple to use, and for those of us who use our devices with a screen reader, it is completely accessible. Zoom can be downloaded for free, and if you're invited to a Zoom meeting, you don't even have to download the software. You can just click on the link that you're sent. To access Zoom, you can do so on the net by going to zoom.us. Or you can look for Zoom cloud meetings on either the Google Play Store or the Apple iStore. I really recommend Zoom as a product. I think it's, it's very like Skype or Microsoft Teams, but I find it very reliable and I absolutely love the accessibility because of, I can use it as someone who's blind. If you are wanting to download Zoom, and want to try it out, but are a little nervous about doing so, or if you have any problems, you can always drop me an email on podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za and I'll do my best to help you. Oh, I should probably say that with Zoom, you can connect to one person for as long as you like on the free basic plan. But if you're wanting to chat to multiple people, you'll either have to keep your conversations to 40 minutes, start a second meeting after that, or upgrade to the paid pro plan. Now it's time for today's travel quote. This episode's quote is taken from Babs Hoffman, who said, Stop worrying about the potholes in the road and enjoy the trip. Yes, it is true that we can't travel at the moment, but I'd like to believe that we will be able to travel again. 
And maybe one day we'll be able to look back on the COVID-19 pandemic as just a pothole as we carry on with our travels. We can use this time to listen to other people's stories of travel, to read books about travel, to research and plan the destinations that we want to visit when the travel ban is lifted. So, shift your mindset a little bit and start seeing COVID-19 and the ban on travel as just a possible and that knowing that we will be able to go back to traveling once it is over. Thanks so much for joining us on today's episode of A Different Way of Traveling. We will see you next time. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa and on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za Editing by Craig Strachan using Hinderberg software. Our theme music is by Lu Chil Chow, based on a motive by Lois Strachan. Credits read by Musa Izulu. Thank you for joining us on A Different Way of Traveling. We'll see you next time. Until then, happy travels.